Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and we are, we are going to be talking about a very challenging topic today, and that topic is sundowner syndrome, sometimes referred to as sundowning. This is a condition that is seen fairly frequently in the dementias. Uh, the um, estimates are 10 to 20% of individuals with Alzheimer's disease or a similar disorder will demonstrate symptoms of sundowner syndrome or sundowning. It's seen more commonly in the early to middle stages and then tends to disappear in the later stages of the disorder. And basically, we might define it as changes in functioning during the uh, evening hours as the sun is going down, during the later times of the day when we are transitioning from light to darkness. It is occasionally seen in the morning as well, actually, as we transform transition from the dark of night to the light of day, but um, it can take on many different manifestations and uh, it can be a difficult situation to manage. Hopefully with our discussion this afternoon, I will be able to give you some ideas on what things to look for that might be causing or intensifying the symptoms of uh, sundowner syndrome, and uh, also hopefully an idea on resolution or management of some of these symptoms. You know, we really do not know exactly why sundowning occurs this way in the dementias. There are, uh, well, I guess I will describe to you the conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom means that nobody knows, but lots of really smart people have been willing to offer an opinion. So I will take the uh, uh, sort of the uh, aggregation of the opinions and list out four of the most common reasons that experts in the field think that sundowning occurs. First has to do simply with the accumulation of sensory stimulation throughout the day, that um, as uh, stimulation uh, uh, goes on through the day, the individual progresses to a point of overload, and later in the day, uh, when that individual is at the point of overload, there simply um, uh, happens that uh, the individual will lose control, lose the ability to test out perceptions and things like that, lose behavioral and emotional control and manifest the symptoms. Others think that it has more to do with the neurochemistry of sleep. You know, sleep is a fascinating and very dynamic process. It's not a simple, uh, now you're awake, now you're asleep, but there are different phases or stages of sleep, and uh, these stages are um, managed by different hormonal and neurotransmittal systems. And um, so there are those who hypothesize that sundowner syndrome occurs because of these chemical changes, hormonal and neurotransmission type changes. A third theory is simply fatigue, that as an individual goes through the day, uh, he, become, he or she becomes progressively more tired and the fatigue becomes much more prominent late in the day. 
So uh, those are three of the most common reasons. And the fourth one actually has more to do with vision and perception. And the thought here is that as the ambient light decreases, going from daylight to darkness, difficulties with visual perception become much more severe. This may be because of perceptual problems with the dementia, or it may be due to uh, things like cataracts um, uh, or other primary visual impairments. But as vision becomes more impaired, then behavioral and emotional changes begin to set in at that point. So we don't know exactly why it occurs. We do know that it's thought to occur in 10 to 20 percent of individuals with Alzheimer's disease or other dementias, and we know that it tends to occur in the uh, early to mid-stages of the disorder, but tends not to occur in the late stages. Now, the types of symptoms that occur with sundowning are actually highly variable, and uh, uh, most patients do not experience all of them, but they will experience one or more of these. Uh, so, in looking at a list of the types of symptoms that people have reported with sundowner syndrome, one of them is, of course, increased forgetfulness later in the day. And this would be a pretty significant, a, a marked increase, not just a, a subtle change as one goes through the day. Similarly, there may be increased confusion, uh, there may be a state of agitation, uh, severe anxiety or fearfulness. There may be restlessness and the individual would just feel uh, compelled to rock back and forth, to pace, to perform some other type of repetitive motor activity. At times there will be hallucinations. Most commonly these are in the visual modality but not always. Uh, one may see paranoia. That's a word that simply means a change in thought processes to the point that what a person is thinking no longer interfaces um, accurately with reality. And no, I'm not talking about politicians here. Okay. No, I thought you would like that. But the uh, paranoia may, may become very troubling. An individual may accuse his or her wife of having an affair or having uh, someone else in the house, uh, may accuse others of stealing things or doing things to try to harm them. At times, sundowner syndrome may actually result in violence if, uh, if there's not a system in place to try to get some initial calming influence, it can escalate to the point of violent behavior. It's not common, but it's not uncommon as well. Sometimes you will see a great deal of emotionality, emotional lability. Um, crying, for example, would not be uncommon. Uh, maybe a, such extreme fearfulness that the individual um, will not uh, will will not want to be around other people out of fear of the harm that may come to them. And sometimes you will see this thing called shadowing, which is fairly common in the dementias generally, but uh, may become much more accentuated later in the day. Shadowing simply refers to the need to stay right next to the caregiver all the time, almost moving with the caregiver like a shadow. I have usually interpreted this to be some kind of a manifestation of a fear response, and the caregiver is the, um, the one familiar key person who, um, if the 
individual with dementia can maintain sight and maintain maintain contact with that person, the person the, the person with dementia will be a lot more calm. You may not understand where he or she is or what is happening in his or her environment, but will be calmer uh, just from the knowledge that the person that they love the most and that they trust the most is there with them. So. These are the types of symptoms that may occur. There are those that think that sundowning occurs more frequently in the wintertime than it does in the summertime as well. Um, and, uh, the, of course, the reason for that would be that the, the days are shorter in the wintertime, and so sundown comes sooner, the decrease in illumination comes sooner, and, uh, and therefore the confusion that goes along with that. Now, let's talk for just a minute about what sundowning is not. First of all, sundowning is not delirium. Delirium, as we've talked about in previous programs, is a usually a, a rather sudden change in mental functioning that has some type of a medical cause. Commonly, it's due to medications. It may be associated with a urinary tract infection or something like that. And delirium is not the same as sundowning. Delirium, again, nearly always is a temporary state and nearly always has uh, an acute medical cause. Sundowning is also not the REM sleep behavior disorder that we talked about during the program on Lewy body disorder. REM sleep behavior disorder, as you recall, refers to a condition in which during REM sleep, REM stands for rapid eye movements, during REM sleep, which this is the time of dreaming during sleep, the person behaviorally acts out uh, some of the things that are going on in the dreams. And usually this will be a quite violent, quite intensive activity. These are not small movements, but tend to be very um, intensive movements. So, uh, sundowner syndrome is not delirium. It's not REM sleep behavior disorder. REM sleep is also not the result. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, sundowning is also not the result of a nightmare or these horribly um, fear-inspiring things called night terrors. We do know that. Uh, uh, sundowning tends to occur most frequently after a hospitalization or after there's some other major change, a change in living arrangements, uh, moving from one place to another or having someone else move in or something along these lines. So we, uh, we do have that degree of understanding with respect to sundowner syndrome. Uh, but in any event, sundowning is a repetitive thing. It tends not to be an isolated incident, but it tends to be a repetitive thing. It becomes a problem for caregivers, family members, loved ones to deal with night after night. And uh, unfortunately, that happens usually when everyone in the house is getting more tired toward the end of the day. So sundowning does have very significant challenges. And um, interestingly, uh, and importantly, sundowning is one of the uh, small number of most common reasons that individuals uh, go to nursing home living or some altered living arrangement. Uh, sundowning may not be just something that occurs for 20 or 30 minutes a night, but may occur throughout the night. And um, if the uh, caregiver is simply not able to maintain the energy and uh, maintain the, uh, um, the presence of mind and the patience and the persistence to take the patient through these difficult situations, then some other 
um, living arrangements are often required. So sundowner syndrome is not a small thing. It may be something that many of you have not heard of before, but if you have worked much with patients that have Alzheimer's disease or similar types of dementia, if you've worked with them very much as a professional, if you've cared for them in a long-term care setting, or if you have provided care for one in your home or in that person's home, then you are very well aware of what a challenging, um, uh, challenging situation that this can become. Now, the question arises at times, does sundowning only occur with dementia? Well, the symptoms of what we refer to as sundowning may occur in someone who has no history of dementia as well. But again, more commonly, we would see that as a condition that we would refer to as delirium. And if there is no prior history of significant cognitive change, then uh, that would result in an intensive pursuit, an intensive um, uh, effort to find what the causative factor might be medically that would be giving rise to the delirium. And as I said before, medications are, are commonly the culprit there uh, and not uncommon among those would be pain medications. So uh, just in a nutshell, that's a quickest overview of sundowning, and here's what I hope that we'll be able to talk about this evening. I want the uh, listening audience to be able to um, have a good understanding of the symptoms that may give rise to sundowning, the um, uh, environmental factors, the factors biologically with the individual, and other factors that can give rise to sundowning. And based on that understanding, then make reasonable um, selections, make reasonable decisions about how to try to manage the situation in as positive a way as possible. So we are going to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we will talk about some of the conditions that can give rise to sundowning. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, 
Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Well, thank you for staying with us this afternoon. We are talking about sundowners, and we are coming to you from Voice America. I um, would like you to go through a, um, a simple little mental exercise with me here. What is it that changes in a home from daytime to evening to nighttime? What are all of the things that change there? Let's think about that. Put your thinking caps on. If you have ideas that I have not mentioned, uh, please call them in to me and we will go through some of these things. The first and probably the most obvious is the degree of illumination. You know, um, indoor lighting is very helpful for um, uh, being able to stay up and active and productive after the sun goes down, but it does not provide as much illumination as natural sunlight does usually and that can be changed in some settings but usually it does not well this natural flow of low illumination at night to progressively increased illumination during the day to progressively decreasing illumination in the evening and then on to darkness stimulates certain structures within the brain to secrete the chemicals that regulate mental alertness or drowsiness that regulate uh, sleepfulness and wakefulness and that regulate one through the different phases of sleep. So the illumination in and of itself can cause uh, alterations in um, brain chemistry that uh, could result in the type of confusion and excitability and anxiety and fearfulness that comes about with sundowning. Let's look at the other impact of illumination. Uh, Like me, you probably have been in a room, probably a bedroom at some point, and you notice a light shining, and yet you can see that there's no light on in the room. And it may happen that you're looking into a mirror reflecting a light off of a utility pole or off of uh, an automobile set of headlights or something like that. Well, with good executive functioning, uh, we can encounter that situation and make sense of it, understand that um, there is a mirror there and that there are sources of illumination outside of the bedroom. If, on the other hand, there is a decline in those executive functions, the individual may have a very difficult time interpreting that light. And in fact, such as with headaches, (laughs) headaches, with headlights, um, 
the uh, lights will actually move and uh, that can present a very fearful and very confusing situation to an individual. Add to that uh, the experiences that uh, we all have had moving through a bedroom when there's decreased illumination or moving through other rooms in the house, and we know the basic layout of the room, provided that uh, the room has not become cluttered or something like that. We can navigate our way through that room without any great difficulty, but we do move much more cautiously. Well, if the internal representation of that room for an individual with Alzheimer's disease or some other form of dementia, if that internal representation of the room is not accurate, then uh, the individual will have a very difficult time moving through that room, and this may result in falling, or it may result in a great deal of fear of falling. Similarly, um, if you look at the average household, it has a fairly high level of what we will refer to as visual complexity. It um, has angles and shapes. It has corners and recesses. It has furniture about in the house. And our brains automatically connect those uh, things that we see and, um, and decode visually, those things that we then perceive, connects them with things that we know exist. Well, if the perception, if the perceptual decoding of that visual information is disordered, it can become a very, very fearful experience for an individual and um, uh, it can result in agitation or um, anxiety, um, increased confusion, a desire to run, a desire to escape the situation. Similarly, it, the, the perceptions may be augmented, um, and we would see this as a hallucination. So um, something as simple as a mirror in a room with some outside illumination that may or may not be moving may actually result in so much visual confusion because of the increased visual complexity and the perceptual disturbance that the individual becomes fearful and agitated and anxious and depressed uh, uh, may become tearful and cry, may become combative, may feel that he or she is battling for very life at that time. So um, one of the things that occurs over the course of going from afternoon to evening is the decreased illumination that may result in uh, changes in the chemistry of the brain with respect to regulation of sleeping and waking states, and it may interact with perceptual difficulties and a disordered internal representation of the environment to produce a very, very strong response. The next thing that I would consider is the issue of pain. You know, as an individual goes through the day, um, musculoskeletal pain, maybe uh, fairly minor arthritis in joints, uh, long-standing back pain, uh, tendency toward headaches, anything along those lines. As the person goes through the day without rest, those areas of pain may become considerably more significant. Um, if an individual does not um, uh of his or her own initiative report the pain, nobody else recognizes that the pain is there unless someone has very astute observations of posturing and movement and, and facial expression and follows up that way. So one of the things always to consider 
when someone is experiencing the symptoms of sundowning or sundowner syndrome is whether there is some pain that may be causing a more widespread upset, resulting in increased arousal, increased vigilance, perhaps hypervigilance, um, more distractibility, more confusion. Pain does occupy a certain amount of the limited capacity of our attentional systems. And, and so pain in and of itself can actually cause sundowning to take place. Um, another thing that changes as we go from daytime to evening to nighttime is medications. I know that uh, in a perfect world, our medications would be just once a day dosing, but there are some medications that are normally given in the evening and some are given multiple times per day. And uh, it may be that medications that are being given in the evening uh, may be resulting in either a direct effect on cognition and executive functioning and awareness, or it may be that the medication itself can cause some stomach upset uh, or other area of pain in the body. So, in the context of somebody experiencing the symptoms of um, sundowner syndrome, always medication should be considered as a potential causative factor. Another thing that takes place in the evening is the evening meal. Different, um, different families have different meal patterns. Some people have a larger meal at lunchtime. Some people have a larger meal at suppertime. There may be something about that evening meal too late in the day, too early in the evening, uh, not nutritionally adequate, or something along those lines that could be causing the individual to experience increased confusion, increased fearfulness, and uh, things of that sort. Caffeine. Caffeine also has to be considered as a potential contributing factor with respect to sundowning. We drink caffeine in many forms. Most people um, who drink coffee drink it in the morning, but there are those that like to have coffee on through the day. Um, soft drinks that are highly caffeinated, um, certain power drinks. I have known some older people that use power drinks um, that may uh, have a high load of caffeine. Um, caffeine in all of these forms, iced tea, uh, other forms as well, um, may be causing some disturbance in the regulation of arousal such that as the person comes into evening and nighttime, even though a part of them wants to sleep, physically they may be wanting to sleep, um, the uh, mental relaxation required for sleep is not there and consequently the person is in this state of, of mentally being too alert and physically being too tired. Uh, on the topic of sleep, certainly sleep deprivation can cause sundowning. You know, if you take a bunch of young, healthy college graduates and systematically deprive them night after night of some aspects of sleep, they will develop memory problems, confusion, they will develop emotional liability, irritability. Uh, lots of things can come about, including hallucinations. So sleep deprivation may be a very significant factor here. Now, why would there be sleep deprivation? Well, there are a lot of potential reasons. One of these may be um, sleep apnea. 
Apnea is A-P-N-E-A. Apnea refers to not breathing. And for some individuals, as they go into deeper stages of sleep, um, the respiratory drives uh, may decrease if it's central sleep apnea, or there may be um, a tendency of the soft palate to partially close over the upper portion of the trachea, thus uh, producing um, uh, an obstruction to airflow in and out of the trachea. And that would be what we refer to as, as uh, obstructive sleep apnea. So sleep apnea does not necessarily reduce the total number of hours of sleep, but it does fairly selectively reduce slow-wave sleep, which is important to feeling well and rested and ready for the day, and is also important for many aspects of memory consolidation processes. So uh, sleep deprivation uh, directly or sleep deprivation due to some form of sleep apnea may result in um, the uh, sundowner pattern. Sometimes environments are too noisy, too stimulating in the evening. As people come over to visit, uh, people drop by, uh, family members may come by for an evening meal or something like that. This may also result in disruption of sleep and consequently what would seem to be sundowning. There are more on the list, so please stay with us. We're going to go to a short break, and when we return, we will talk about more conditions that can result in sundowner syndrome. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. 
to reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to NeuroMatters. And we are back, and we are talking about sundowner syndrome. As we said at the outset, uh, sundowner syndrome involves an intensification of symptoms. They may be cognitive symptoms, emotional changes. They may be um, behavioral types of changes as well, uh, but involves an intensification of these symptoms late in the day as the sun goes down, as we transition from daytime to nighttime. And as mentioned earlier, it is thought that 10 to 20 percent of individuals who have dementia may experience a period of time when they have sundowner syndrome, although obviously most patients do not experience it. It tends to happen in the early to middle stages of a progressive dementia and then tends to disappear in the later stages of the disorder. So um, sundowners as mentioned earlier, is one of a small set of challenges that, if they can't be managed adequately in the home, very commonly necessitate nursing home placement. So um, it is my hope that our discussion of this topic this evening will empower you and enable you to do some good problem solving with respect to sundowners if this is something that uh, you are having to manage in your loved one's life. A vast virus database. I was listing before the break a number of conditions that may trigger or may give rise to sundowning. And uh, one of the last things that I mentioned was a noisy or highly stimulating environment. You know, if an older individual with dementia goes to bed at 8 o'clock at night and and seems to uh, be asleep, at least has his or her eyes closed, that doesn't mean that the person is asleep or will stay asleep through a lot of activity. So loud televisions, loud music, um, loud visitors, any of these things can cause the person to awaken from a state of sleep and make it difficult to fall back asleep. Additionally, that person may get trapped into that period that we call hypnagogic, that hypnagogic period where you transition from sleepfulness to wakefulness, uh, and um, that will certainly cause a persistence of confusion, loss of mental sharpness, and these things may eventuate in the behavioral and emotional changes as well. Other factors to consider, when sundowning occurs in a nursing home, often this can be traced to the time of a shift change. The uh, shift change involves a number of different things. People coming in, going out, saying howdy, saying goodbye, uh, picking up their things, moving other things in. So you have the uh, activity and commotion of that. You also have the arrival of new faces on the floor in the nursing home and the departure of the person that's been taking care of the patient through the day. So a shift change in a nursing home is one thing that can cause or intensify sundowning in that setting. Fatigue may also cause uh, intensification of cognitive, behavioral, and emotional symptoms. If you consider the amount of mental effort that it takes an individual 
who has diminished cognitive capacity to simply hold him or herself together through the day, understand who's coming in and out of the immediate environment, understanding the things that need to be done, go about daily activities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it makes sense that a person with diminished mental capacity would tend to fatigue a lot more easily than someone who does not have diminished mental capacity. So what can be done about that? Well, you know, there's always controversy about napping. If it's your judgment that this person is simply so tired by five or six o'clock in the evening that he or she cannot function well, it may be helpful to put a nap into the routine early in the afternoon so that there's a natural fatiguing time a little bit later in the evening. On the other hand, for some people, uh, there are many naps through the day, and as evening and bedtime come closer and closer, the individual has napped so much that um, uh, they do not move into a state of sleepiness or a state of drowsiness so that they can go to sleep. So a nap may or may not be helpful with this, and your judgment has to be whether this is about fatigue and a nap might provide a little bit more energy in the evening, both mental and physical energy, or whether it's your judgment that the person is napping so much during the day that you may have to structure some activities to uh, prevent uh, some of that nap time so that the individual naturally moves to a more restful, peaceful state and be prepared to sleep in the evening. Another thing that changes at night is the routine. A, um, a couple living in their home um, will, will get up, have their breakfast through their normal routine, do whatever normal grooming they do in the morning, go through lunchtime, maybe watch television or work in the yard or do whatever it is that they enjoy going through the day. As evening comes, things tend to be a lot less structured. And they're less structured for a number of reasons. One is that we sort of see ourselves as being active and productive going through the day and being inactive and winding down and resting in the evening before we go to sleep. Another consideration is that uh, people may have a tendency to come to the house and visit in the evening, and while the routine and the individual's perceptual capabilities and understanding may be adequate through the day when it is just the couple in the home as other people come home in the evening and the routine is no longer in place the individual may have a very difficult time adapting to the new setting the new faces the new sounds the new movement and things along those lines so um, orderliness and structure are desirable with dementias generally, and uh, maintaining that orderliness and structure in the, in the evening uh, can be a very important factor in avoiding the development of sundowning-type symptoms. So just to recap these, uh, these various things for you to consider when you encounter a situation like this, the decreased illumination in the evening, either directly changing the neurochemistry of the day-night cycle of the brain or interacting, interacting with perceptual disturbance um, so that with decreased illumination the person has an even more difficult time understanding the environment or perceiving the faces of the people that they're with. Pain, which 
generally will tend to become greater in the evening after a day of activities medications which may be given in the evening certain aspects of the evening meal caffeine intake sleep deprivation may or may not be associated with sleep apnea one that I forgot to mention is sleep avoidance, by the way. If someone repeatedly has a difficult time going to sleep, or if someone has developed a pattern in which there's a high likelihood that they are going to have some uh, uh, very undesirable uh, dreaming during the night, nightmares or something like that, you may actually see the person become more and more tired, more and more sleepy, but do what they can to avoid going to sleep. Similarly, if a person is having a little bit of difficulty with urine control as, um, as evening comes about and as bedtime approaches, even though they may not consciously recall the problem with urine control at night, at some level within them, they may become more and more avoidant of going to sleep because of a, uh, an atavistic uh, memory of um, uh, urinating in bed and upsetting the the spouse or having to get up and change or having to awaken with uh, um, uh, sheets and, and things that have become wet because of the poor urine control. I might add as well that things like constipation or diarrhea can cause um, sundowner syndrome and a urinary tract infection or an upper respiratory infection, sinus infection, these things can cause sundowning syndrome as well. Uh, we talked about nutritional difficulties. We talked about uh, the progressive fatigue as one goes through the day, excessive daytime napping or perhaps not enough daytime napping, or just the change in the routine in the evening in comparison to the uh, uh, organization and structure that tends to be in place through the day. And then, of course, a noisy or stimulating environment. If, uh, if people come to visit or um, if you live in a a somewhat concentrated area, uh, noisy neighbors, uh, things along these lines could be contributing to the development of sundowner syndrome. So we can see that there are lots of triggers and the best thing that the caregiver can do is try to identify what some of those triggers might be or what some of those conditions that can give rise to sundowning might be so that um, uh, management can be put in place. Now, what I would like to do then is list out for you as we finish out this segment and, and go to our last segment in a little bit, I would like to lay out for you uh, some steps that you can take that hopefully will enable you to address, in consideration of these factors, address the problem and avoid or manage the problem of sundowning. And the first recommendation that I always want to give is basically this. Check for the safety of the patient and then check for your own well-being. In other words, as you encounter the situation in which the individual with cognitive decline is experiencing um, sundowning type symptoms, it, see to their safety first and then ask yourself, how do you feel going into that situation? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? If there's agitation or violence, are you fearful for your own safety? How confident are you that you will be able to manage that situation? How confident are you that the person will even recognize you, um, especially in the decreased illumination or um, if there are other things going on? Calm yourself 
and be very aware at that time of several things. Number one is how you are presenting yourself visually to the patient. Whether there's good illumination or borderline illumination, your body posturing, the speed and briskness of your movements, your facial expression, these will have a very powerful impact on whether this situation is going to get better or get worse. And I might refer you to the discussion that we had with Linda Boshart when we talked about communicating with an individual who's experiencing cognitive decline. Choose your words carefully. Make yourself understandable to the individual. Do not speak fast. Do not speak loud. Do not go to a higher pitched voice, but let your voice be a calming influence on that circumstance at that time. So as a situation like this arises, first thing, check for the safety and well-being of the individual who's experienced cognitive decline. Second, check yourself so that you are calm and in a state of mind that you can communicate well in an encouraging way and in a way that will calm the individual rather than increase the fearfulness or anxiety or irritability of the individual. So we will go to some other ideas, but first we are going to go to a short break. Please stay with us for more discussion of sundowning syndrome. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back 
to NeuroMatters. Thank you for staying with us. We continue to talk about sundowner syndrome, which is thought to affect 10 to 20 percent of individuals with Alzheimer's disease or similar dementias. And as I pointed out earlier, sundowner syndrome is not something that happens because of nightmares or night terrors. It's not the REM sleep behavior disorder that you see in Lewy body disorder. It's not delirium, but it does tend to happen when there has been a significant change in the person's world in terms of people that are in that world, uh, where the individual lives, the, the routines and schedules of the day and things like that. Um, as noted earlier, uh, it tends to occur in early to mid stages of progressive dementia and tends to disappear uh, before the later stages come about. Uh, before the break, I had mentioned a step number one in dealing with sundowner syndrome, and that is check for the patient's safety and then check yourself. Make sure that you have yourself emotionally and conceptually ready to manage the situation well. Watch your nonverbal communications, your posturing, your facial expression, choose your words carefully, watch your voice characteristics, and um, if you have a a great deal of anxiety or fearfulness, uh, deal with that in some positive way in that situation as well as you can so that you can calm yourself down and if you need a longer term solution, deal with that the day after. The second thing that I would suggest is this, address the basic needs that every individual has. So for this individual who has reduced cognitive capacity, uh, Evaluate for basic needs. Is the individual hungry? Or is the individual thirsty? Is the individual experiencing pain? And you'll have to ask about those things. And it may take some interaction before the answer to that becomes clear. Does the individual have to go to the bathroom? Is the individual experiencing some fear of losing control of the bladder um, after getting into bed? Is the individual warm enough or cool enough? So consideration of all of these basic needs and comfort factors uh, should come into play as you are trying to solve problems here. The next step that I would suggest is get with the primary care physician and rule out those medical conditions that may be giving rise to the sundowners. Uh, this may involve doing some laboratory investigations, a physical exam, reviewing uh, systems, reviewing symptoms of various systems of the body. Um, it may be it may involve inquiring about the possibility of, of sleep apnea, for example, but address those things. Uh, so that if there is a fairly simple solution, then that simple solution is known and can be implemented. The next thing that I would suggest is make it a practice of exercising good sleep habits. Now that means a lot of different things. It will have to do with things that you do in the two hours before bedtime, how much fluid intake, we mentioned caffeine earlier, how much caffeine intake, whether a person is eating too late in the, uh, in the evening or so early in the evening that uh, they're going to bed hungry. Um, make sure that the, the bedroom that the individual sleeps on is basically an attractive place, a place of comfort and a place of familiarity to him or her so that it's not a place that increases fears and increases anxiety. Um, 
The next thing that I would suggest is do what you can to establish a calming environment, an environment that will calm someone down when they um, begin to escalate in terms of anxiety or fear, fearfulness or some other emotional state. Now, how would a person go about that? Well, there are lots of potential factors. It may be something as simple as making sure that the uh, the family pet is in the room with the individual. If um, if the if a dog or a cat has a calming influence on the individual, take advantage of that and allow that uh, wonderful furry little creature to um, uh, provide that calming effect for the individual. It may mean music. Now, there are lots of different kinds of music, and I really would want to emphasize here music that the person with cognitive decline enjoys, not the, per not the music necessarily that the caretaker enjoys. Um, that means that you'll have to know what kind of music, you know, is it country and western music, is it classical music, is it predominantly instrumental music, is it music with lyrics, is it classic rock from the greatest rock era of our country, the 1960s, uh, what, what type of music would be best for the individual that would have a calming effect? There may be music that the individual enjoys, but that music may in and of itself not be very calming. I draw your attention again to rock music of the 1960s, the era in which I grew up. One might also look at what the daytime activity level has been like. You know, some people have very much a routine. They're active about the same time of day each day for the same amount of time. They might may like working on little hobbies in the shop, working in flower beds or a vegetable garden or things like that. But you may find that if activity, if a person's activity level fluctuates a great deal day to day, that may give rise to sundowner syndrome as well. Um, you want some activity and you want the individual to be interested in things and to look forward to doing things like whatever long-standing hobbies there are that can be done safely, but uh, radical fluctuations day-to-day -day can potentially become a problem. Um, light therapy. There are those that advocate something called light therapy, which was developed for seasonal affective disorder. This is the development of depression that occurs um, during the late fall and winter months and tends to clear up in the spring when the days are longer. So uh, light therapy may be helpful. Um, it may be helpful to decrease the evening activity level uh, while allowing for a higher daytime activity level. You know, if the individual does well through the day on whatever interesting projects and activities they have set aside for themselves, it may not be helpful to continue that on through the evening but give some downtime there. And speaking of downtime, you don't want to make an abrupt change in the activity and stimulation of the day, but you would like a gradual transition over the course of an hour or so in which illumination is decreased, sound is decreased, uh, visual stimulation is decreased, and activity levels are decreased. And then I would also uh, want to uh, suggest to you that um, you consider the sleeping patterns that the individual has had all his or her life. Sometimes that changes when others move in or when they move to another place. I recently had the case of a woman who always 
was up until 1 or 2 in the morning and would sleep until 10 or 11. Well, unfortunately, her caregiver felt that she should go to sleep at 9 or 10 o'clock at night and get up at 7 or 8 in the morning, and that simply did not go well. Once her sleep pattern for today was set up to match the sleep pattern that she had had over her lifetime, then she was able to do much better and they no longer saw the um, evening irritability and the irritability in the middle of the night or early morning irritability. So uh, that was a simple solution as well. The final thing that I will suggest to you, practice patience. Patience is not something that comes about within us easily, but it comes about within us through trials and with a commitment to that patience. So during the day when things are going well, that's the time to be making your plans and organizing your thoughts about how you will be managing the next episode of sundowning. I hope all of this information has been helpful to you. Uh, I mostly hope that you will not have to encounter the difficulties of sundowning, but uh, I hope that I've been able to give you some good problem-solving tools, and I will look forward to being back with you next week for another topic. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Dr. Sam Brinkman, and we will be together next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.